We're coming out of a pretty heavy sermon series, Jesus in the Old Testament. That was six weeks of fairly intense Bible study. And we're heading into a summer series, which is a 10-part series, beginning next week, called Moses, Servant of God. So let's take one week in between to uh, look at something a little more lighthearted, and we'll call it Five Things Christians Forget When They Leave Church. And I'm not talking about stuff that people forget at church. And, and they do. On typical Sunday mornings, there's lots of stuff left behind. You forget a lot of stuff here at church. You forget your phone. Uh, that's a common occurrence. Uh, glasses are a common item that we find left homeless after church. You forget your Bible. Coffee mugs are a biggie. You often leave your travel mug underneath your chair. We also find a lot of jackets hanging in the foyer after everyone leaves. Uh, A lot of times it's chilly on a Sunday morning when you come early. By the time we leave church, it's warmed up and uh, some people choose to leave their jacket hanging in the foyer. So those are some of the common things that people forget when they leave church. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Uh, By the way, next week we're looking forward to opening the building again. The the church has been alive and well during these uh, 11 weeks, but I'm excited to see you again next week. We will still provide an online presence, and uh, so if you're uh, not comfortable coming back yet, you can still find us uh, the Sunday service online. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for investing in Central Assembly, even during these 11 weeks when the building uh, has been closed. But five things Christians forget when they leave church. And I'm talking about five things that really matter. We're all very spiritual here at church, aren't we? Uh, We have our Bible, and we're all dressed in our Sunday go-to-meeting duds, and we're, we're putting our best foot forward on as many fronts as possible, and that's good. That's okay. But then service ends, and we walk out the door, and it's back to the dog eat dog world that brings out our competitive nature and, the, and our survival of the fittest instincts. Suddenly, we're not as Christian as we were when we were at church. Something doesn't feel right about that. Maybe there's a better way. So this morning, five things Christians forget when they leave church. Number one, grace. We seem to forget grace as soon as we walk out the door. It's easy to forget that we didn't get here on our own. We didn't earn our own salvation. We didn't merit the relationship that we have with Jesus. We aren't saved because we're better than anybody else. It's interesting to me that God made this very clear to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Beginning in verse 7, it says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest 
of all the people. Verse 8, but because the Lord loved you, because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen or slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What makes us think? What kind of audacity do we have to have to think that somehow we deserve the goodness of God? I remember being frustrated at one point with a, with a 20-year-old that I knew very well. They had gone their own way and they were making decisions that impacted a lot of other people. I was hurt and I was angry and I was frustrated. I was disturbed that someone could be that way. What were they thinking? And in that moment, God spoke to me. It was not an audible voice. It was an impression upon my spirit, but it was as clear as if Jesus was standing right in front of me. And what he said was this, where were you when you were 20? Where was I when I was 20? That's a, that's a good question. I was not in church, that's for sure. I was living out my own selfish desires, and, and but for the grace of God and for the patience of a lot of people, I would still be lost. Ephesians makes it very clear in chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We need to remember that we were saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then the Bible says, that the Father drew us unto himself. Did you know that that's what the Bible teaches? John 6, 44. No, this is Jesus talking now. No man can come to me, Jesus says, except the Father which has sent me draw him. You didn't earn that. You were probably unaware of it. And then there's all the people that were praying for you and reaching out to you. you. You didn't get here on your own. We do well to remember how lost we were. I think we have misguided expectations sometimes too. We expect people to have a transformed mind when they just aren't there yet. We need to remember that lost people tend to act like lost people. Lost people do what lost people do, and that shouldn't surprise us. So let's extend grace to them. I'm so glad people extended grace to me. When I was 23 years old and I started coming to Central Assembly, I was not where I needed to be. I was rough around the edges, and I had a lot to learn. I still remember playing on the church softball team, and the guys were so gracious to me. And over time, I acclimated. I was impacted and influenced by their example and by the lives they led. And over time, I assimilated, and I learned, and I became what I needed to be. 
They were so gracious to me. We need patience. When we leave church and we go out and face a lost world, let's remember grace. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we leave church and we head out into the world, we should be full of grace and truth. In all of our encounters with the lost world, let's be full of grace. Well, what else do we forget in church? Uh, Number two is evangelism. Okay, you're saved. Now what? Do we climb into our ivory tower and look down on the rest of society because they don't know what we know? Or do we endeavor to do something about it? The answer to that is obvious. But I think the way it plays out is actually just the opposite. We gather on a Sunday morning and we celebrate our salvation, and and we should. Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity, the psalmist wrote. There's, There's nothing like it. It feels good to be saved. The work week can be grueling. It can can wear on you. It can wear you out. The world is so lost and the philosophies are so vain and we're pulled in a thousand different directions and so much is required of us and and asked of us. So when we we get to church, it's a place of refuge. It It just feels good to be here and to celebrate with those of like precious faith. I get that, for sure, I get that. But in the process, we've forgotten how important evangelism is. We're to do more than just celebrate our faith. We're supposed to invest in the salvation of others. Now, some people dismiss that by saying, evangelism is not my gift. And... Truth be told, it is a gift, but so is hospitality. And even if you don't have the gift of hospitality, you're still supposed to be hospitable. 2 Timothy 4.5 says, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. We are, church, we are to do the work of an evangelist. All of us, some people are gifted in it, some people are called to it, but we are all supposed to do it. And on this Pentecost Sunday, let's remember we are not to ignore the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. We have a responsibility to share the gospel. When it comes to evangelism, I believe there are some things that can hold us back. I have three for you this morning. First, 
We think we have to do evangelism like other people do evangelism. And, and of course, we tend to be aware of the flamboyant and boisterous evangelist, the guy carrying the cross down the street or, or standing and preaching on the street corner. We've come to think that if we're an evangelist or we do the work of an evangelist, we have to be the end is near guy. Not so. We're all wired different. Listen, we can evangelize within our own personality. When you go to a Green Bay Packer game, you'll see fans without shirts on in 20 degree weather. Their face painted half green and, and half gold. And those are the ones that they show on the Jumbotron. But we're not all like that. I can be a Packer fan without being bizarre and rowdy. And the same is true of evangelism. The worst thing you can do is to try to be something or someone that you're not. Do the work of an evangelist within the context of your own personality. Second, again, these are three things that hold us back from, from uh, evangelizing. Second, we need to be intentional about evangelism. I think, I think one of the quotes that has been most harmful to the cause of evangelism is preach the gospel every day when necessary, use words. Now I agree, it's, it all starts with living the gospel. Absolutely. If you are not living the gospel, then nothing you say matters. But on the other hand, if we don't preach the gospel, if we don't tell the wondrous story, if we don't invite people to church, they won't know why we are the way we are. We have to share our story. If we do not evangelize in some form, we're just one more nice guy, we're just one more nice gal out there. We may be a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or any of a host of other heretical belief systems that produce nice people but don't point anyone to Jesus. We need to be intentional about evangelism. So my encouragement to you this morning is to is to sit down and think of the unsaved people in your life and begin to list what you can do to move them one step closer to Jesus. It doesn't just happen. You keep waiting for that perfect opportunity. You keep waiting for the lightning bolt from heaven, but it doesn't work that way. Be creative. Work within your personality. Don't be obnoxious, be winsome and loving, intentionally create an on-ramp. Don't forget to evangelize when you leave church. The third reason we don't evangelize is, or the, the hindrance is we need to pray. We forget that, that prayer is such an important part of this. It's the Holy Spirit and, and His amazing timing and His wondrous work that can lead us into the right place at the right time. And, and, and apart from Him, the reality is we can do nothing. Prayer and the baptism in the Holy Spirit forge our connection with God and empower us to witness. But we need to 
seek it. It doesn't just happen. We need to pray and we need to trust God. Here's what I know for sure. Doing nothing is not the answer. Do something. When we leave church, remember to do the work of an evangelist. Another thing we forget when we leave church, number three, is worship. Worship is all about pleasing God. And, the ch- and in the church setting, we rock that. We really do. I mean, we, we sing at church. We give at church. We live for Jesus at church. Everything we do there is centered on Him. And then we leave, and suddenly it's all about us again. Where should I eat? What should I do? What do I have planned this week? What if we we started to think of worship as more than the few minutes of music at church on Sunday morning? What if we started to think of worship as the way we live our life for Jesus? Think of the impact we could make. If every Christian left church on Sunday and spent the week living a life of worship. Now, I'm not talking about singing hymns on the street corners or worship songs in, the, in your cubicle. I, I mean living every aspect of our life away from the church setting as if it was an offering to God. Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Present your bodies. Let's make, our, let's make our lives an offering to God. And I mean our entire lives. Not just an hour at church on Sunday morning, but 168 hours a week, every week. Our actions can be worship. Our words can be an offering to God. Our thoughts and our ideas can be a sweet savor unto Him. Everything we say and everything we do should be a sacrifice unto the Most High God. The psalmist said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Don't make the mistake of thinking worship is something you do at church on Sunday morning. Worship is the way you live your life for Jesus. What you do on Sunday, listen to this, what you do on Sunday morning matters little unless the rest of your week is filled with worship. That's tweetable. Let me say it again. What you do on Sunday morning matters little unless the rest of your week is filled with worship. Number four, the things we forget at church, encouragement. You know, when I leave church, on a typical Sunday morning, my, my heart is full. When I leave church on a typical Sunday morning, I'm encouraged. I, I'm recharged. I'm lit. That's what the kids would say. 
I'm stoked. I'm, I'm ready to rumble. It feels so good to be ministered to and fed and inspired. I'm encouraged. But then we leave the grounds and we forget that we're to pass that on. We're for, we forget that we're to pass that forward. We forget that we're to be encouragers. It doesn't take much to be an encourager, but it means a lot. Again, you have to be intentional. I like to tell the people in the drive through windows what a great job they're doing. I'll often say, man, you're really moving the people through here. You're doing a great job. Or how about the young person gathering carts in the parking lot of the grocery store on a cold day? Thanks for your hard work, man. I appreciate what you're doing. It doesn't take much, but it means a lot. Around the house, in the office, in the neighborhood. Have you ever gone over to your neighbor and said, thanks for keeping your yard so nice. It's beautiful. We're too, we, we are quick to point out faults and, and failures. Well, how about instead being the person who catches people doing something right? Let's be that guy. I like to call businesses and, and commend workers and employees or, or before you leave, ask for the manager. And when they think you're ready to voice a complaint, you tell them what a great job a specific employee or a team did. Catch someone doing something right. Encourage is a great Bible word. It means to fasten upon, to strengthen, to confirm, to fortify, to make firm, to repair, to make stout. The root word is courage. It means to deposit courage and confidence into the heart of another. Let's not forget, church. Let's not forget the power of encouragement. Let's not leave church on Sunday morning encouraged and then forget to encourage others throughout the week. And, and think of this. If, we're, if we are encouragers, it will enhance our evangelism, right? I mean, if we only evangelize, people will dread us coming into the room. But if we are encouragers, if we are uplifting and positive and fun, people will like to have us around. And then as we intentionally pick our spots to share the gospel and invite people to church, we will discover that we have earned the opportunity to be heard. Be an encourager. People have plenty of negative and they have lots of burdens. Life and work and family, the boss, the stress. People are feeling it. Life is tough. Why can't we be a fuel pump on the road of life. Why can't we be an oasis in the desert and away in the wilderness? We should be a lighthouse in the distance, a beacon of hope, a tall glass of water on a cold day. The Bible says this, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father which is in heaven. Encouragement. It doesn't take much, but it means a lot. And finally, the fifth thing we forget when we leave church is number five, rest. 
Now, I know the quarantine has, a, has affected everyone uh, a little different. But one of the good things to come out of it is it has caused a lot of people to slow down. Back in the middle of March, our schedules were almost instantly cleared. The running every night with the kids to games and practices and recitals and concerts and meetings and parties and activities of every sort and size were gone. Suddenly, we could breathe. And I think it took some people a while to adjust, but, but ha- some have discovered that they like it. At least they like aspects of it. Maybe we weren't meant to run every night of the week. Maybe we're better off eating together and slowing the pace. Maybe we should listen more and run less. Maybe it's our COVID-19 lesson. We need to slow down. Now the reality is, God had long ago factored in rest. He called it the Sabbath. In fact, the word Sabbath actually means rest. God didn't rest on the seventh day of creation uh, because he needed to. He did it to set an example for the ones he created who were not invincible and all-powerful like he is. Exodus 20 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it thou shalt not do any work. In the New Testament, Jesus points out that man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's for our well-being. It's for our benefit. It's for our own good. I believe that many of the problems we have, from ulcers to stress to heart attacks to immune deficiencies to marriage issues and any of a host of other problems can be traced back in varying degrees to a lack of Sabbath, the lack of rest. We are driven. There's always more to do, and it's killing us. God had a better way. Six days you shall work. And in our culture, that typically means you work at the shop or the factory or the office for five days, and then you work around the house one day. The seventh day is a Sabbath, a day of rest. And maybe you have to work on Sunday, but somewhere in the week, you need a Sabbath. It's a universal principle, even concerning the land. Listen to Leviticus 25. And the Lord spoke unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Here's verse 3. Six years thou shalt sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in the fruit. Verse 4 of Leviticus 25, but the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. God knew. God understood the the land needed to rest. 
And during that year of rest, the land would build up its nutrients. And and when it came time to plant again, it would be even more productive. And it would bring forth more. It would be healthy and rich and abundant because it had a year of rest. And the same is true for you and for me. But we have somehow been coerced into thinking we will get more done if we keep moving and doing. We've lost the ability to wait on the Lord and be still in His presence. It feels like a waste of time to us. We seldom, if ever, meditate on God's Word and or implement the disciplines of silence or solitude. We're too busy. We have stuff to do. I can't be sitting around here staring at the walls. But rest will recharge your battery. Rest will replenish our bodies and refresh our minds. Rest renews our perspective. And rest will put the joy back into our work. If we rest well, we will be healthy and strong. And in the end, we will be more productive. The result of incorporating a Sabbath is a healthy rhythm and pace to life that is sustainable and more fruitful than going hard all the time. Listen, there's wisdom in taking time to sharpen the axe. You'll get more done if you stop periodically and sharpen the blade of your life rather than incessantly and relentlessly Chopping away. Five things you forget at church. I think another thing we've learned as a result of the stay-at-home orders is that the church is not a building. You and I are the church. That means we should be out there what we are in here. So let's recap. Five things Christians forget the minute they leave church. We forget, number one, that we should be full of grace. We needed grace. I needed grace. So let's extend grace to others. Number two, we should be intentional about evangelism. You're saved. Hey, good for you. We're happy for you. Now what? Do you bury it in the ground? Or do you shout it from the rooftop? Nothing can happen. Nothing will happen until you intentionally decide that you are going to do the work of an evangelist. Number three, worship is anything we do that pleases God. Surely that encompasses more than the church hour. Worship is the way we live our entire life for Jesus. 90% of that will happen outside of these four walls. Let's not forget our worship at church. Number four, we can be encouragers. We can be life to the lifeless and hope to the hopeless. We can lift the downtrodden and bring light to those that are lost in darkness. Don't forget to encourage. It doesn't take much, but it means a lot. And finally, number five, let's remember the Sabbath. It's not a law to control you or to hold you back. It's a healthy way of living. 
It's subscribing to the grand designer's recipe for success. It's following the manufacturer's handbook for the use and the operation of the life that he has entrusted to you. It's choosing to embrace the rhythm of the week. You know, one the greatest invention of all time might possibly be the week. If, if I was God, if I had to come up with all this, it would be one long string of days. In God's infinite wisdom, he created the week. And there's a rhythm to the week. It's accepting the reality we cannot go hard all the time. Everything in life is meant to breathe. You need rest. And rest is different than sleep. I'll let you ponder that. Lord, thank you for the plan that you have for us. And the plan was never for us to gather at church, to gather on the top of the mountain, to gather in the compound and learn all the secrets and keep them to ourselves. You had a better plan than that. Your plan was that we should encounter you and experience you and learn and grow and, and go out and share that with a lost and dying world. It's the great commission. It's the great co-mission. It's me working alongside you. It's every member of the church working alongside you in this cooperative effort to reach people with the good news of the gospel. I'm so thankful that people prayed for me. I'm so thankful that people invited me to church. I'm so glad that people were gracious with me, even, even though I had a long way to go. They loved me into the kingdom. They didn't argue me into the kingdom. They didn't debate me into the kingdom. They loved me into the kingdom. Lord, so often, while we have everything we need, we leave it here at church next to our coffee mug under the chair and next to our Bible that we left on the coat rack. We function through the week, doing it on our own, doing it our own way. And we wonder why we struggle. Lord, help us not to forget these things that are so important to everyday life. Help us not to forget them here at church. And Lord, for the one that's out there listening today that has never encountered you, Lord, I pray that today they would cry out to you. I pray, Lord, that there would have been something that was said. Uh, maybe it was a song that was sung. Maybe it was something that somebody said in the chat room. They're beginning to realize that Jesus is the way. Lord, for that one today, I pray that they would open their heart to you. They have to trust you. They have to make themselves vulnerable. Lord, I pray that they would do that today. I pray that they would confess their sins and they would call out to you, say, God, forgive me. I fall short. I'm a sinner. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness and make me right in your eyes. We thank you for that great privilege. And if you did that this morning, if you're giving your life to Jesus this morning, 
then I would like you to put something in, the, in that chat window or, or call the church. Let someone know that, that you gave your life to Jesus this morning. And we want to help you on the next step. We want to help you along that journey of loving and serving Jesus. And church, let's remember all the things that we need to do out there that we already do really well in here. I love you guys.